around the cauldron, Thregs we go, moving fast and moving slow. Potions bubble, candles burn, as the wheel begins to turn. Truth we seek and truth we know, embers of the fire glow. Spirit, join me in this space. Join me in a warm embrace. joining me for this episode of Round the Cauldron. I'm your host, Megan, here to shed light on life as a modern Wiccan. This podcast is produced every Monday to bring knowledge of Wicca to those who seek it. Find me on Facebook and Instagram at Round the Cauldron, on Twitter at Round the Cauldron without the D, and at my website, roundthecauldron.com, where you will also find show notes and links for each episode. If you like what you hear, feel free to leave me a review wherever you listen. You can also help support this podcast for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash roundthecauldron. Hey everyone, welcome back to Round the Cauldron. Thank you for joining me here for episode nine. Uh, Today we are going to talk a little bit about the more common types of divination that you find in the Wicca and witchcraft community. Not everybody... not everybody practices divination, but for those of us that do, there's there's a couple really common techniques, and we'll go through those today. Um, but first, let's let's define divination. So divination is devi- defined as the practice of seeking knowledge of the future or the unknown by supernatural means. It's basically, it's what the what a mundane person, I guess, would call um, fortune telling. Now, if you go to Wikipedia and you search for methods of divination, you actually get an entire list of divination methods that are sorted alphabetically. Um, And there's a lot on there that I have never heard of. um, And each one will link to the Wikipedia article about that specific type of divination. Um, but we're just going to talk about a couple. We're going to talk about um, astrology, and we're going to talk about um, rune casting, tarot, tassiomancy, bibliomancy, and scrying. And we're just going to go through and give um, just a little bit of a history and definition of each one. So we'll start with astrology. And astrology is the method of using the celestial bodies, so the the stars and the constellations, to predict weather, to predict, um, now it's used more for um, predicting personality traits and how certain aspects will play out in your life based on where, where the planets and constellations were at your time of birth. Um, there's early evidence, though, that astrology was performed at least 25,000 years ago. Um, Babylonian astrology was the first organized system of astrology, and that 
that showed up around the second millennium BC. And during this time, astrology was really mundane in nature. They used it to predict like the weather and um, how political matters will would play out. Um, so I found I found a timeline actually of astrology from Astro Style, and it's pretty interesting. So I'll go th- I'll go through it here with you really quick. Um, so from thirty thousand to ten thousand BC. The roots of astrology begin with earliest civilization. Um, Maps of the stars existed long before maps of the earth. Archaeologists have actually found cave paintings, mammoth tusks, um, and bones marked with lunar phases. And man has long coped with uncertainty and the change brought on by nature's cycles by tracking the stars. And um, it says the seven visible planets were essentially our first GPS. Now in about 6,000 BC, the Sumerians in Mesopotamia noted the movements of the planets and stars. And in uh, 2400 to 331 BC, the Babylonians continue what the Sumerians started, inventing the first astrological system over thousands of years. They actually created the zodiac wheel that we use today with the planets and houses around 700 BC. And the oldest known horoscope chart is believed to date to 409 BC. And then in um, from 331 BC to the 5th century AD, Alexander the Great conquers Babylon and the Greeks eventually start making advances in astrology, along with developments in medicine, geometry, mathematics, and philosophy. Now, the modern names for planets and zodiac signs come from Greek literature. In 140 AD, Ptolemy publishes Tetrabiblos, one of the most revered astrology works that was ever written. Um, It contains core techniques of astrology used to this day, including planets, zodiac signs, houses, and aspects. And in the 5th century AD, the Roman Empire falls. Western astrology disappears for 500 years, and the Arabs continue studying and developing Greek astrology. Now, in the Middle Ages, astrology flourishes, and it's an intrinsic part of culture, practiced by doctors, astronomers, and mathematicians. Now, the advances in mathematics helped astrologers develop more accurate and sophisticated charts, and many esteemed European universities at this time, including Cambridge, had astrology chairs, and royals had court astrologers. Um, Many popes were actually pro-astrology. The monk and mathematics professor Placidus created the house division system used by astrologers today. And when when, uh, Copernicus advanced the theory that the earth travels around the sun, he dedicated his main work to the astrologer Pope Paul III. Belief in astrology began to decline as the church gained power and it was seen as heresy and superstition during the Inquisition. Galileo himself was found guilty of heresy and had to renounce his astrological beliefs to save his life. Now, in the 17th and 18th century, it was called the Age of Reason. The Protestant reform movement started in the mid-1500s, abetted astrology's decline. Later, rationalism became the popular census during the Age of Enlightenment, which was 1650 to 1780. Um, in Western Europe, Western European cafes and salons, emphasizing reason, analysis, and individualism. 
a reaction to excessive superstition, authority, and control from institutions such as the Catholic Church. Uh, skepticism and science were seen as a way to reform society and to bring balance back to it. Astrology was viewed as entertainment and not a valid science, and most astrologers actually worked under pseudonyms. And in the 19th century, renewed interest in spirituality and mysticism in England invigorated astrology again in Europe. Psychologist Carl Jung actually pioneered the use of astrology and analysis, and then other developments in the field were made. Now, in the 20th and 21st century, um, in the 1920s, newspapers and magazines actually began publishing the sun sign-based horoscopes that we still read today. And since they only get, since they give only 12 predictions for the entire world population, they're seen more as entertainment. And then later in the century, computers have made it fast and easy to cast charts, replacing the need to do the laborious charts by hand. Um, although some stricter astrologers still prefer, prefer to do them that way. Now I've, I've done my natal chart and I've done my daughter's natal chart. Um, but it's something that, that it's a little hard for me to grasp, I guess. Um, it can be really confusing and I re I like to read more about it, I guess, and sort of do my research and learn what I'm doing before I try to interpret the natal chart. Um, so I have mine and my daughter's printed out and I've read through them, but it's not something that I have actively pursued yet. Um, but I did receive a question through DM on Instagram from someone who asked me an astrology question and no I promise I haven't forgotten about you um, it's just I need to look into it some more and I've been doing some research about your question um, and I think I'm coming to an answer I think we're getting there I'm, I plan on doing a whole episode just on astrology alone um, once I can get my hands on the books that that I want to read and reference so that I can make sure that I give everybody accurate information. Um, but anyways, uh, as far as sun signs go, I am a Scorpio. Uh, my daughter is an Aries. My boyfriend is a Pisces. My mother is a Virgo and my father is a Gemini. So we've got a, got a whole house of crazy going on right here. Um, so the the next thing that we'll we'll talk about is rune casting and runes are they're little stones or wooden pieces that have uh typically the elder futhark, futhark runes i believe i'm saying that right i that might be wrong please correct me if i'm saying it wrong um the runes inscribed on them and if i'm not mistaken the mythology behind the runes is that the Norse god Odin um, hung upside down from the tree of life and was shown the runes. And when he got the runes, he, he received the knowledge. I believe that's right. Not 100% sure. I'd have to ask my, my brother and my sister, sister-in-law. Um, they're the, uh, the Norse pagans in my family, or at least my brother is. Um, but they are an ancient Germanic alphabet that was used for writing, divination, and magic. 
they were used throughout Northern Europe, Scandinavia, the British Isles, and Iceland. Um, they're used in a, they're used as an oracle in in terms of seeking advice. Like you don't cast runes and then automatically get your answer. Uh, each rune has its own meaning when used for divination, and there are a lot of different methods when actually when doing the rune casting. So there's somebody who actually wrote a book, um, and I have a section here. Um, the book was called Germania, and this was written by somebody named Tacitus, and it's in chapter 10 of his book. And it describes the form of divination used by the Germanic tribes, which we believe is the rune casting. And it says, To divination and casting of lots, they pay attention beyond any other people. Their method of casting lots is a simple one. They cut a branch from a fruit-bearing tree and divide it into small pieces, which they mark with certain distinctive signs and scatter it random onto a white cloth. Then, the priest of the community, if the lots are consulted publicly, or the father of the family, if it is done privately, after invoking the gods and with eyes raised to heaven, picks up three pieces, one at a time, and interprets them according to the signs previously marked upon them. So we're pretty sure that in his book he is speaking about the practice of rune casting. And I have I have no experience with rune casting, so I can't I don't feel comfortable um, speaking about it too much. Um, I just wanted to sort of throw it out there for you guys because it is something that a lot of people practice. Um, and even though I don't have experience with it, it might be something that calls to you and you, might get feel the need to research it some more on your own and maybe pick it up and try it out so then the next thing that that i have listed here is tarot if you're not familiar with tarot it is actually a deck of cards that is still used to play games to this day um, the two that i have listed here that people play is the italian tarocci and the french tarot I have no idea how to play these games. I I did not pick up tarot um, for the card games, but it, but apparently the card games are still played to this day in some parts of the world. Um, but tarot developed into a divinatory method in about the 18th century. And most tarot decks have 78 cards in them. This includes the major arcana, which are the trump cards, um, there are 22 of them and they don't have suits and they tell the story of the fool which is the first card in the major arcana now the minor arcana has four suits and depending on the deck they're typically wands swords pentacles and cups and each suit corresponds with a different element and each card has its own meaning when reading tarot unlike rune casting there's there's a lot of different methods that you can read tarot in a tarot reading they're called tarot spreads so it's all about the way that you lay the cards out and tarot is one of the things that i have the most experience with um i have currently i have three tarot decks i try to pull a card on a daily basis um but sometimes i forget sometimes things are just really crazy in the morning and i just don't feel like I have time. Um, I know that's not entirely true. If you listen to my last episode, take time to make time. Um, 
but that is something that I actively work on regularly. Um, tarot can have a learning curve to it. Uh, there's not there's not one right way to read tarot. I am of the opinion that when you read tarot, you can start with the little white book that comes with it that sort of gives you an explanation of the cards, um, how they see them. But there's another way of reading tarot, which is more intuitive. And uh, I'll do a whole a whole podcast episode about tarot where I go into a little bit more detail uh, about the different methods of reading it. I just want to throw tarot out there to you guys so that like with rune casting, if it's something that you think you might be interested in, you can go do some research, pick up some books, read it on the internet, or pick up a deck of cards if you want. So the next one that we'll talk about is Tassiomancy. Um, I think I'm saying that right. Uh, there's Tassiomancy or Tassiography. Um, they sort of mean the same thing. Um, but what it is, it, it's tea leaf reading. So Western Tassiomancy can be traced back to um, medieval fortune tellers in the 17th century. Uh, the Encyclopedia of Occultism and Parapsychology notes this on how to read tea leaves. It says, after a cup of tea has been poured without using a tea strainer, the tea is drunk or poured away. The cup should then be shaken well and any remaining liquid drained off in the saucer. The diviner now looks at the pattern of the tea leaves in the cup and allows the imagination to play around with the shapes suggested by them. They might look like a letter, a heart shape, or a ring. These shapes are then interpreted intuitively or by means of a fairly standard system of symbolism, such as snake, uh, which means falsehood, spade, which means good fortune through industry, mountain, which means journey of hindrance, or a house, which means change or success. Um, now, there, some, some companies have created specific teacups that people will or people can use when reading tea leaves and they have different symbols on the inside, they have different symbols on the saucer and it's sort of a guide on reading the tea leaves with that specific cup. I have absolutely no experience with Tassiomancy either, I'm not a big tea drinker. Um, like at all, I don't really drink tea. Uh, I tried for the longest time to be a tea person, but it just didn't, it just didn't work out. I'm sorry if you can hear that little noise in the background. I'm recording in my daughter's room and her hamster is awake and eating food and being kind of noisy. Uh, but Tassiomancy in, Tassiomancy in Western circles, um, typically has very specific symbolism that's used when reading tea leaves. So sometimes they don't like to go off of your intuition. They see the symbol and they have the definition for that specific symbol and that is what it means and it's not up for interpretation. Um, so just be wary of that too, I guess, if, uh, if you look into doing Tassiomancy some more. There's some forms of Tassiomancy that have actually developed into other forms of Tassiography using coffee grounds. And it's most commonly found with Turkish coffee because it's, it's, it's thicker and the um, grounds actually settle in the bottom of the cup. Um, now, this is a kind of Tassiography that I could get behind because I am a coffee addict. 
coffee addict. That is me. I have coffee every morning. <laughs> um, but I've never had Turkish coffee, so I don't know how that tastes. It'd be something that I'd have to try. So then we have bibliomancy. Bibliomancy is one that I, I'm kind of interested in, but I've never really tried it. Um, and it is foretelling the future by interpreting a randomly chosen passage from a book. Now, back when I was on Tumblr, um, I'm not on Tumblr anymore for a couple of reasons, but anyways, um, I saw it used a lot in the witchy community there. Um, the way that I, I've seen it done is that someone asks a question and then chooses a book, a page number, and then a, a third number or a second number. Um, the person performing the bibliomancy then goes to that book on that page and then counts the lines for the third number or for the second number. Oh my gosh. So they've got the book, the first number, and the second number. So they go to the book, turn to the page for the first number, find the passage for the second number, and then that sentence or passage is the answer to the person's question. It, it has a long spiritual tradition, and it was actually traced, traced back to ancient Rome and involved using the texts of Homer and Virgil to predict the future. Now, historically... Bibliomancy was used with a sacred text, so a lot of the time, um, historically anyways, bibliomancy would be done with the Bible. Um, I don't think people do that anymore because Christianity frowns on divination and bibliomancy is a form of divination, so I don't know. But it is one of those forms of divination that I do plan on trying one day. I mean, gods know that I have enough books to do it. <laughs> so the last one that I'll be talking about here really quick is scrying. Um, so the Encyclopedia Britannica describes scrying as follows. Divination of distant or future events based on visions seen in a ball of crystal rock. Divination based on uh, analysis of reflections in water, on polished metal, or on precious stones was practiced by early humans and they probably interpreted these phenomena as a vision from the spirit world. Scrying became widespread by the 5th century and was actually condemned by the medieval Christian church as the work of the devil. Um, we're pretty sure that scrying was used by ancient Celts and elsewhere throughout history because scrying plates have actually been found in several archaeological sites around Celtic lands that are known to have been um, Norse-influenced settlements. Um, and Druids are actually one of the earliest known peoples to have used crystals for divination in the form of scrying plates. Now, scrying can be a lot of different things. Scrying can be uh, crystal ball gazing. Um, there are things called scrying mirrors. Um, you can scry with a, a bowl of water uh, or on in any sort of body of water basically. Uh, but it, from what I've read, it does take a lot of practice. Again, I haven't really delved too much into scrying. I have a crystal ball. Um, it's very little. It's teeny tiny. And uh, my boyfriend got it for me for Christmas. It's super cute. But I, I haven't gotten around to practicing with it yet. Um, but it's definitely something that I do eventually want to get into. Now, like I said before, I haven't used all of these 
divination methods, but I'm, I'm fairly experienced with tarot. Um, so I, I mean, I hope you all learned something, something new today, something that piqued your interest. Um, and definitely stay tuned for my, my next episodes because I do plan on going through astrology and tarot at least, um, more deeply. And like I said earlier, I have a question to answer from someone who reached out to me on Instagram, but I do, I do need to make sure that I give accurate information. So I've, I've got to do a little bit more research on, on their question. Uh, so yeah, I'm sorry this episode was so short. Um, if you follow me on any sort of social media, you will know that I'm a really bad person this week and I procrastinated this episode and actually recording it the day before it's supposed to go live, which I never do. Um, with being snowed in and everything almost all week long, um, it really just put me into a sort of state of mind where I didn't really want to do anything. Um, I did get some crochet done, so I do have... Um, I have two crystal pouches and a rainbow chakra meditation shawl up in my shop. If you guys want to go check those out, I added those in there. And until next time, everybody. Bye. Please consider supporting this podcast through Patreon at patreon.com slash roundthecauldron. For questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions, feel free to reach out to me through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or email at roundthecauldron at gmail.com. The music you hear in the introduction and the outro is called Night Owl by Broke for Free. It's used under a Creative Commons Attributions License.